morning, church. Good morning. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us. We are in the midst of a series called The Good Life. Turn your neighbor and say, The Good Life. We're talking about how to thrive in life and finances like Jesus intended. Last week, my wife Nancy joined me for Mother's Day, did a fantastic job as we unpacked wisdom from the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. If you missed it, encourage you to check it out. We talked about this very challenging tension that few are able to live in, which is being faithful with what is, pioneering and fruitful with what could be. If you missed it, encourage you to check it out. This week, I want to dig into the meat of God's money wisdom that he has for us and all that God has to say in the scriptures pertaining to finances, money, generosity, and this word tossed around in church called tithing. What is up with that? Stand your feet with me as we get ready to read and honor God's word. I know it's like spiritual musical chairs up and down, up and down. It's all right. You're getting steps on your Fitbit, okay? And uh, you'll be done in just a second. Then I have to stand up here. We're going to start in Proverbs 3 and we'll bounce throughout the trajectory of scripture. But before I do that, South Florida sports fans. Come on. We learned a few things this week. Number one, do not talk trash to Jimmy Butler. It's not going to go well for you. Not going to go well for you. Number two, the Florida Panthers have a hockey team, ladies and gentlemen. Quadruple overtime we won after that. Man, it's a great moment to be a South Florida sports fan. Yes and amen. Okay, Proverbs 3, glad I got that out. Feels really good. Here is what God has to say. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Everybody got it? Yeah. We can just go home, right? Super clear. First fruits and barns. That is very pertinent to South Florida urban society. What in the world? Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seats. We're going to jump into this thing. You ever thought you were tracking with something only to realize that you had it all wrong? Ever been there? I, 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 one of my favorite moments in life happened in a McDonald's. You don't hear that often. Often it's much more regrets. But I was there. My wife, Nancy, and I had just gotten married. We were living in Gainesville, and there was a McDonald's not far from us. And so on one lovely morning where the weather was quite pleasant, I decided to take a stroll. And as I was strolling to the McDonald's, I sat down, had my Bible, had my coffee, had my hash browns, because they could do hash browns still. I was sitting there enjoying, and there was this sweet elderly couple next to me that was speaking in a loud tone, as often is the case. They were proclaiming many things things. And so I'm sitting there, I'm enjoying my coffee. It was around holiday time. And so they had Christmas music piping in the McDonald's. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there doing my thing, reading my Bible. And I hear this guy loudly exclaim, I just don't get it. And so I was intrigued and he's talking to his wife. His wife's like, Shawnee, you know how I, Shawnee. Like, no, I don't get it. And, and there was a song on all hail the power of Jesus name. He's like, I just don't get it. What's up with all of these angels and the prostates falling? And his wife's like, honey, I don't understand. What's up with the, the, the prostates falling? True story. Now, if you're, I did not, I'm from a Jewish background. I did not grow up with Christmas carols. So I commiserated with my brother who was hearing the words, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Do you know this one? Let angels prostrate fall. This is a word that means to bow down in reverence of God. 
But he didn't hear that. He, had, he, he was hearing a song, all these little Christians running around singing about angels' prostates falling, Merry Christmas. He's like, I don't get it. And I thought to myself that, by the way, before we throw shade, anybody else have a hard time with song lyrics? Like anybody? Maybe you got a friend. My dad, bless his heart, he was awesome at almost everything else in life, but this man could not get a song lyric to save his life. Sometimes I would just turn off the radio real quick just to hear what he was actually singing. Anybody ever do that before? No, none of you are, yeah, yeah, none of you are as cruel as me. It almost, it almost always made no sense whatsoever. I'm like, dad, who are you worshiping right now? I don't even know what you're saying. Why do you tell the story? Because it was amazing. I mean, you can't waste a story like that. When it happens, it's like something in a movie. You just got to share it. But, but I wonder if what Christmas carol or Christmas hymn lyrics are to this sweet old gentleman is the same way that most Christians feel when it comes to God's wisdom about money and finances. We just don't get it. On one hand, it's the problem of ignorance, of not understanding, and, and we just straight up, we, we miss what does God actually have to say about money, generosity, giving, and finances. On the other hand, though, I think we often find ourselves in an issue of control. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's worry, or maybe it's greed and materialism, and and we don't realize that money and stuff, as Jesus warned us it would, it's got its hooks in us and it's controlling us and it's dragging us down. And because, because, that's not a word, because, that is, because God loves us so deeply and thoroughly, he presents in his word his directives to address both. Because he loves us so that we can flourish and thrive like he intended with good, generous eyes. You remember from two weeks ago with Pastor Matt, with good, generous eyes, full of light, so that our lives can be full of life. Now, some important caveats before I jump into every pastor's favorite message about giving, generosity, and tithing. Caveat number one, some of us, as soon as you realize this was a topic, your skin began to crawl because you have had bad experiences with church and church hurt. And I'm so sorry. I realize that when it comes to this topic, often the people of God, especially pastors and churches, have been bad, poor, whether they intended or not, and oftentimes they have. And, and I've been praying during the course of this entire series, but especially for this conversation, that God would give you grace to go there, to lean in, to be open to his words and his ways, and he would give me grace to share it in a way that is kind and compassionate. Caveat number two, I am not about to have Liam and Lucia, my sweet little children, come up here crying and say, please help dad, and take up a second offering at the end of my sermon. We already took up the offering. You got a whole week to decide what you want to do with this, so don't get tense and be like, oh, what's going to happen? None of that. Number three, I have no idea what anybody in our church gives. I have structured our finances in that way. I don't think I'd treat you differently if I knew. I don't ever want to find out. So if you find me looking at you and you're like, oh my gosh, he knows. I don't know anything. I just like you. I like your shirt, maybe. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you're smiling and it's good to find an empathetic audience member, all right? So don't freak out. I, I, don't, I don't know. Everybody good? Okay, so let's jump into this. Three key aspects. And again, here's all I'm trying to share with you. God's wisdom. You can take it, leave it, do with it what you like. All I'm trying to share is God's wisdom, his path when it comes to money, stuff, finances, so that we can thrive the good life and life and finances like he intended. 
Point number one is this. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. I'm going to hit three core elements of generosity as is described and laid out in the Bible. Point number one is this. Biblical generosity requires priority. Everybody say priority. Priority. First and best. It was three years into pastoring the church here in Greenhouse, South Florida, and I had somehow wriggled my way out of doing any sort of concerted conversation about money with our church, namely because it was terrifying for me. I realized, man, people have had so many different experiences when it comes to churches and money, and they use stuff, and, then, and, and, I, and, and so finally it came time to preach a sermon, and I don't even remember what the series was, and we were sharing about money, and, and it went great, and you guys are amazing, and the church was gracious, and it was so good, and, and I remember a few weeks in, I had a guy come up to me, and, and this was a guy in the church that I loved. Over the course of the last year, he had, uh, Jesus had just shown up in his life in an amazing way. He had gotten radically transformed, responded to the gospel. He had gotten baptized. He was growing. He had jumped into a microchurch. He was getting discipled. And, and he came up to me, and he said, John, and I love this guy. And I said, hey, man, what's up? He's like, John, you know I love you. And that's always like, oh, oh man. <laughs> he said, John, you know I love you. Yes. He said, and I love the church so much, and God has used it so much in my life, and it's been such a blessing, and I'm waiting for the but. And, he, and I'm like, yeah? And he's like, but, and I say, here it is. But it wasn't, well, I was about to say, I was going to say, it wasn't the but that I intended, but that would be weird to say, but now I just said it. <laughs> he said, but this entire time, I've been living life thinking I've been following Jesus, loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, and in this issue, in this predominant area of life called finances and generosity, I have not been obeying Jesus, and I had no idea. This is what he said. I wish you would have told me sooner. I think about it now. I still want to cry. Cut me to the heart. He said, John, I love you. You're my brother. You're my friend. You're my pastor. I, I get it. I, I understand all the bad examples and all that. I, I get it. I just... I just wish you would have told me sooner. We haven't done a money series in a little while, although we've had isolated conversations here and there. And as we were getting ready to do sermon planning with Pastor Mike and myself, we're going back and forth, and I'm getting ready, and we're, we're like, what are we going to do? And we, we almost punted, and we're like, oh, we can do it next. And I was like, no, 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 no. And that story has stuck in my mind and heart ever since. I wish you would have told me sooner. See, we all struggle when it comes to stuff, especially as Americans and North Americans, we uniquely struggle because we have an abundance of stuff. We have stuff-itis. We all have a struggle with stuff. And in fact, this is nothing new. It goes all the way back to the ancient world. In Malachi 1, God is speaking to his people. He says, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty, it is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Now he explains what he means. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor or to your worldly leaders. Would he be pleased with you? Would he Accept you, says the Lord God Almighty. The principle that we see in scripture is this idea that God is the king. God is the ruler over everything. He owns it all. 
And nowhere in scripture are we given this idea that God says, you know, like, I get it, man. Stuffitis. There's things. I, I, you know what? Just like do what you want to do. And then if you, ha- if you end up perchance maybe possibly having a little bit left over, like, man, that'd be so great. If you find it in your heart, that'd be awesome. It's not what he says. All throughout Israel's sacrificial code, the principle that we see God pass down to his people is his call is for the first and the best because he's the king. The first and the best because he's the king. We, we see this over and over, this idea of firsts, it permeates scripture. God calls his people to offer the firstborn animal or the firstborn lamb. They're supposed to bring him in an agrarian society, the first of the harvest. When it comes to this idea of the exodus, they were after, ever since the exodus, they were supposed to dedicate to the Lord their firstborn child, their firstborn son. It's firsts and firsts and firsts over and over again in Proverbs 3, what we read together already says honor the Lord with your wealth with the what does it say first fruits of your crops what's up with God and firsts over and over and over again God is always calling people to give him their firsts why I'll tell you why because without faith it's impossible to please God you're like that that did not answer the question The principle of firsts is not about God's need for resources. He's doing okay. The principle of firsts is all about faith. Track with me. If I have a whole pizza and after everyone's been fed, I give the leftovers to somebody, that didn't take much faith. Everyone was already fed. If I have a whole pizza and I give someone the first hot slice, Now I am trusting that after giving the first, the rest will be enough to satisfy whoever is remaining. The first is deciding, when it comes to God, the first is deciding, God, I am trusting you with what's first, trusting in faith that you will provide everything after. It's disciplining our hearts to be people who are fueled by faith over fear. God is so wise. He lays these things out, and you, when you see it point blank, you're like, oh my goodness, really? And then you stop, you stop for a second. You're like, wait, wait a second. God is not an earthly leader who needs things from people. He owns everything. Like, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. In an agrarian society, that would have been like, he's the man, you know? He owns all the Bitcoin. He owns all the things. Like, he's got it all. Like, God owns it all. He doesn't need stuff from us. Why? He wants our hearts. And faith is the currency that moves the heart of God in heaven, so firsts is all about faith. One of the ways, by the way, this is great discipleship, one of the ways you can discipline your heart to not be dominated by fear, but instead by faith, is by giving your first. A lot of you know I'm getting ready to go on sabbatical in a couple weeks. I'll be out the months of June and July. This will be my first sabbatical I've ever done, which I'm excited about. Sort of best practice in different industries is every seven years, pastors, especially senior pastors, would take extended leave for rest and rejuvenation and recuperation. I feel great. I feel awesome. Nancy and I are great. The family's great. There's nothing bad, scary, hairy, terrifying, nightmarish. There's none of that. Everything's good. I am literally saying, I trust Jesus, and I'm going to give him two months trusting that he will be faithful to multiply in the next seven years. It's faith. It's giving God first. It it would be nice on the back end to say, okay, after everything's been awesome, now I'm gonna do it. It's saying, God, I'm gonna give you on the front end and trust that you will be faithful on the back end. 
By the way, you guys will have an amazing summer. There's an incredible lineup of preachers. Every now and then I get to dream, like, man, I'd love to have this pastor friend of mine from South Florida. I'd love to have this buddy share. Like, you'll have a whole lineup of incredible preachers. You'll be very happy. I hope you miss me by the time I'm back, but you're going to have a great time during the summer. You got to miss me appropriately, okay? Just like when I come back or just tell me you did. Biblical generosity, it requires priority. It's about giving our first and giving our best. You say, okay, priority, but the first of what? I don't deal in many goats these days, Pastor John. I am not a farmer. I don't have vats of wine lying around, although some of you might be in brewing, so I don't know. But, but that's not my thing. What it, the first of what? This brings us to the generosity principle number two. Number one, biblical generosity requires priority. Number two, biblical generosity involves percentage. Everybody say tenth. Tenth. You ever really thought you looked good? only to find out. <laughs> My wife and I have two kids, and our youngest, Lucia, is three. She's about to be four, and um, I, how do I say this uh, delicately? I don't have a lot of experience with tons of hair. I don't know why you're laughing right now. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I did not, you know, that, that's not, it wasn't in the cards for me. Some of you are follically blessed and I'm so happy for you. Uh, but some of you, you know, you, you have the same barber as me. And so when it came to having a daughter, I was like at a double loss. I'm like, I don't even have to deal with men's hair, let alone women's hair and braiding. So, but I remember one day I'd watch some YouTube videos. YouTube's dangerous because you feel like a pro by the end. I was like, I got this. And so I did Lucy's hair. I like did it up in some little thing. There's probably a name for it. I don't know what the name was, but I was so proud of Lucy. Until so my wife picked her up from school. And she brought her home and she's like, babe, I don't know what Lucy did at school, but her hair looked crazy. I was like, and I didn't think. I was like, oh man, that's what's wild. They just say, I don't know. They must, it looked like a like she, our daughter looked like a like a little feral homeless child. Like, who did she's like, what, what, did she get mauled by a pack of wild animals? Like what? And she's just going on, and I'm just laughing, I'm laughing. And then Lucy walks in the door and I look at her and I'm like, She looked just like when I sent her to school. <laughs> so I just told Nancy, yeah, I don't know. We got to check with the school. They're doing crazy stuff there. Like, I don't know what to do with you. But no, I told her. I came clean, and I'm still bad at it. But I'm better now. Practice makes better. At least I, I hope so. Uh, here's my point. I wonder if in the same way that I clearly overestimated my uh, follicle abilities and hairstyling skills, I wonder if this is the same way that North Americans view generosity, at least according to God's definition. In Leviticus 27, God lays out for his people his framework for the beginnings of the call to generosity. This is where we get this biblical idea, if you've ever heard it, the tithe, that word literally just means tenth. It's a percentage is, is what it is. It's a numerical word. God speaks to his people. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy or set apart to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe, meaning if they have to hold it back for whatever reason, would add a fifth of the value to it. God's like, y'all gonna give me interest because it's mine. Interesting banking theory from God there. Every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy or set apart to the Lord. Now, for the people of God, for the first 
multiple thousand years of their existence, the tithe, this 10th, was not extra credit in God's call to generosity. It was obedient giving. It was not considered to be generous giving. And I want us to understand the correlation between these two. This was not generosity to give a tithe for the people of God. It was obedience. They would not, they would not be receiving, wow, that's so amazing. Everybody did it because it was God's call to everybody. They say, yeah, John, but, but that, I, I appreciate that is clear. But that was Old Testament giving under the law. Like that was, and, and this is where you'll hear different schools of thought. So let's go all the way there. That was Old Testament giving under the law. Actually, it's even older than that. There's a hermeneutical principle, which is basically rightly appropriately dividing scripture called the law of the first mention. Under this principle, the basic premise is that if you want to get deep understanding on a core principle that you see in Scripture, you have to go back to the very first time that principle was used to get and understand God's heart for it. The, the principle of the tithe does not start with the Mosaic law in Leviticus. It goes all the way back to Father Abraham in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, it says this, after Abraham returned from defeating that place, you could try to say it on your own time, this other kingdom, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, who's a fascinating character, you could do a deep dive on him in scripture, all the connections with Jesus, and it's fascinating. But anyways, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of who? God most high, Yahweh, God. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him what? A tenth of everything. This is actually the first mention of the tithe in Scripture. It's before we see Moses and what you would call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant law. Before it's ever a law instituted by God, it is a principle of the people of God. Abram being the first representative. He's blessed by Melchizedek, this priest of God, and in response to this blessing, he gives him a tenth or a tithe. It starts before the Mosaic Old Testament law. It's codified later in what I read in Leviticus in the law of Moses, but it is one of God's generosity principles. Now, while it was there, it was codified, it was clear just because humanity has always been humanity. God's people have struggled to do this all throughout the generations. It's not a modern thing. It was an ancient thing as well. The book of Malachi, which I read from earlier, if you remember the series and we did a Nehemiah during 2020, anybody remember that Nehemiah series? During the series in Nehemiah, yeah, shout one person. I feel great right now. Awesome. All one of you who remember that series because I pour our guts into it. Okay, that's great. So the one per so the series of Nehemiah, there's a little mini revival sparking Ezra, Nehemiah. It's amazing. It's incredible. And then things begin to fall off. And the core distinctive for when God lays out what has gone wrong with the people, the core diagnostic tool that God uses is their lack of, you can probably guess, generosity. It's their lack of generosity. Malachi 3 and verse 7 God picks up speaking to the people. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's always God's heart. He wants the best for his people. But you ask, how are we to return? God unpacks it. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? By the way, it's a real bummer if you're robbing anybody, especially God. How are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? In fact, you're under a curse, God said, your whole nation because you're robbing me. Now bring, verse 10 is his application. 
his call to repentance, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Remember, that's that tenth that God had called his people to in Leviticus, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be enough room to store it. God's like, I dare you, double dog dare you, give me a shot. You say, okay, John, but, but you're still using, that's still under the law. That's still Old Testament. That, you're, you're still using, I get Abraham, it was before the law, but it's still in the law. But okay, let me ask you a question. If Jesus told you to tithe, would you do it? Right? We exist to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. We love Jesus. We honor Jesus. He's the rabbi. He's the king. Jesus will do whatever you say, right? This is our tribe. If Jesus told you to tithe, would you do it? Matthew 23. This is Jesus. He's dealing with the religious leaders, the hypocrites, the Pharisees. He says, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to, what does it say? Tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. They are meticulous tithers, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You, what does it say? This is Jesus. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Anything, when we see people having it off, Jesus explicitly corrects. When we see things that are clear and on track biblically, Jesus emphasizes or leaves it alone. Here we see Jesus saying not, man, you guys missed it. Stop the tithing thing, you legalists, and just care for people. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say either or, does he? He says both and. Continue to follow in the trajectory of obedience that I've laid out for the people in relation to the tithe and add to your tithing justice, mercy, and love for others. God says, and Jesus emphasized, the tithe, that tenth, it's mine. This was not extra credit for the people of God. This was obedience. This was the starting point. Here's my point. Back to Lucy's hair analogy. If what God gave his people is still what God is giving his people, I wonder how many North Americans feel really great because we think we're being generous. And yet, according to God's definition, we are barely being obedient. If God's call is and has always been God's call, I wonder if we're missing the mark and we're missing out on the flourishing that he intends. I love this, by the way, because God's view, because God himself is a God of justice, equity, fairness. God does not give an amount for his people in relation to their obedience and generosity as a starting point. He gives a percentage. Why? Because it hits everybody the same way. If it's an amount, really rich people are like, sweet, this is awesome. They're like, I don't even feel it. And, if it's, and, and, and people who, do, who are impoverished are like, oh my gosh, and they're struggling under it. God's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Everyone's going to feel it the same as 10%. It's a tenth. It's equitable. It's genius. Biblical generosity, it deals with percentage. Now, I get it. On this aspect, it's amazing all of the theologians that come out all of a sudden. You're like, but John, in in the old covenant, we don't do sacrifices anymore like they did in the old covenant uh, because Jesus came as a fulfillment of that. So why would we still do tithing in the same way? Great question. That brings us to point number three. Point number one, biblical generosity requires priority. Point number two, it deals with percentage. And point number three, biblical generosity is progressive. Everybody say you gotta make progress. 
This is the final point of thriving in life and finances like God intends for us. It's progressive. It's fueled by grace. Now let's go back to the question. You say, well, John, we're no longer under the law. We are under grace. Amen. Amen. That's great. That's good Bible. So it would be helpful then to look at what the people of God did when it comes to generosity in the New Testament under grace, right? Let's take a look at that. Acts gives us a picture of New Testament generosity. Here it is. All the believers were together and had, what does it say? Everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Okay. Now, lest you think this is just a one-off and it's like, well, they just had like a moment of goodwill in their hearts. This is actually the recurring identity of this New Testament church under grace. If you continue in Acts chapter four, we see it pop up again in verse 32. It says this, all the believers, here it is again, were of one heart and no mind, check this out, and no one claimed that what? Any of their possessions was their own, but they shared We got real quiet. Everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. I love the freedom we have in grace. Here would be my wild biblical encouragement to you. You're like, Pastor John, we're not under the law anymore. We are under grace. Amen. Then follow in the principle and paradigm of the people of God under grace, where they did not give 10%, they gave what percent? A hundred. It's amazing. You're right. You can do that. That's not what we mean, though, is it? In this area, I find it so unique, and we need to be a little bit more circumspect. I have this conversation, not all the time, but every now and then, more regularly than almost any other biblical conversation, telling. They're like, well, we're not under the law, I'm under grace. I'm like, amen. And under grace, you are not bound to give a percentage amount. You can give freely and abundantly and progressively. But please tell me that you're not saying that the amazing, extravagant grace of God, where God was so incredibly gracious and generous that he did not withhold even his only son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is what he gave. Do not tell me that you think the grace of God would lead you to give less than the law. That doesn't sound like grace. That sounds like another G word, greed. And it's often unexamined, and we don't think about it. And the enemy of our souls definitely doesn't help us. Here's my point. Tithing is and was always designed to be the training wheels for generosity for the people of God, not the end-all be-all. In fact, if you look at the Mosaic law, if you look in the old covenant, they did not give 10%. They actually gave much more. 10% would have been the the sort of obedient giving, non-negotiable, but they had all these giving options beyond that. They could give free will offerings and they could give fellowship offerings and they could give new wine offerings. They had all of these different offerings. It started at 10, but it went much greater. Why? Because God's heart has always been for his people to flourish and thrive. And we do that when we're living like our father who is generous beyond measure. Even in ancient Israel, the tithe was, it was a starting point, not the ending point. First Timothy chapter six, this idea of generosity and call to generosity is echoed in the New Testament. Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their help in wealth. And you're like, tell them. All right. 
If you make more than $25,000 annually, you are part of the top 2% of the richest people in the world. That's the data. How many of us are rich in this room? Probably most of us are a good majority. So now think about who he's talking to. Command those who are rich in this present world, I'm listening, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment and command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Next slide, please. In this way, they will lay up treasure because God's heart is not to make you broke. It's actually to make you overflowing with abundance. We just miss the definition sometimes. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the what? Life that is truly life. Listen, friends, God is not broke. He does not give give us his path his wisdom when it comes to money and finances because he's hurting for capital. This is not God's like last ditch effort for a sales pitch to do one final capital funding campaign before his kingdom goes under. Are we tracking? Like he's good. He's doing great. He's fine. God does not give us this path of money wisdom for him and his needs. He gives it for us and ours. To say it another way, his way of generosity is not because he needs money, it's because you need freedom. And he loves you, and he wants you free. And money and stuff will enslave us like nothing else. I I, I gotta let you know, this is not something that has come naturally to me. This has been a learned journey in my spiritual walk, in my faith walk. I have been massively discipled, almost exclusively, by by the people of God not in America when it comes to this topic. Like it's why I, I, I say this tongue in cheek, but it is a recurring theme. It blows my mind, this phenomena that happens around the idea of generosity when it comes to Christians. And all of a sudden, people that, that almost, I'm like, I didn't even know you read your Bible. All of a sudden, they're coming up, they're like, well, you know, John, in the ancient Hebrew, I'm like, oh, please tell me. I'm from a Jewish background. Let me know about the ancient Hebrew. They're like, in the ancient Hebrew culture, they're like, well, you know, John, according to the hermeneutic, I'm like, I didn't even know you knew the word. It, it blows my mind how all of a sudden people that had no theological pinings all of a sudden had this deep, researched, robust opinion, and they're almost all from one country. Can you guess where? America. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's tongue in cheek. It, this is dead serious. I've had the privilege of being with the people of God all over the world. You know how many times I've been to Africa and had someone argue with me about tithing? Zero. As they're giving of their, their daily wages with joy in their hearts. You know how many times I've been to Haiti and had someone argue with me about the ancient hermeneutics of the original biblical language and how God actually does it. You know how many times I've had people argue with me in Haiti? Zero. You know how many times I've been in the East and had people say, well, you know, Pastor John, that was actually the new covenant, but in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, you know how many times I've had that argument happen to me? Zero. I guess it's because Americans just care about God and the Bible so much more than the rest of the world. Or is it possible that we have much more to lose? And I've watched the people of God in almost any, every other continent and country that I've been in, give joyfully out of their financial lack while we withhold out of fear in our abundance. 
and then wonder why we're stuck in anxiety, fear, and panic of the future and the financial landscape that sits out in front of us. Is it possible that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about? Is it possible that where our treasure is, our heart follows? Is it possible that there is a deceptiveness of wealth and riches that God knows we will never properly defrag on our own, and so he gave us a starting point called the tithe so our heart could be led by default before it's trapped in itself? I think the answer is yes. Is tithing the point? No. No. But biblically, it is the starting point for the people of God to begin to move on a trajectory of generosity that leads to an easy yoke and a light burden and a heart full of peace and joy. And if it is not being enacted, it is meant to be a warning light for your soul that says danger, danger, danger. It's a helpful indicator about the state of your life and your heart and your faith. Man, I thank God that his family is not American exclusively or North American. Man, I'm thankful to Jesus that there is a robustness of faith in the global church. And friends, I got to tell you, I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm your friend. We need help in this area. In our cultural context, we need help in this area. And God is deeply desiring to help us and set us free. God does not need your money, but he wants your heart. And apparently, according to Jesus, your money and your heart are tied in ways deeper than we ever imagined. And so God has given us a way through money to lead our heart, and that way is called generosity. My experience over and over in the global church has been this. They have, we have stuff, but they have freedom. And God wants us free. And God wants us thriving. And the precedent that we see in scripture and the people of God is progressive generosity. Because God is just, he's a God full of equity. He does not give us an amount. He gives us a percentage to start from, the tithe, which I believe biblically is the start. All right, time for a diagnostic assessment. I'd love for you to take a pen, take your phone out and jot some questions down. And this might take some time for you to go through this, and you don't have to do it right now, although I'd love this, the conversation to start in your mind and heart right now. But this is a moment of reflection for you, maybe for you and your roommates, maybe for you and your spouse. The question is this, are you progressing in generosity? Are you progressing in generosity? Remember when you were broke? Some of you were like, uh, today? <laughs> Today, yes, I remember that. No, but for some of you, like, remember when you were a college student? Remember when you were a newlywed and you were just like, you're like, it is hot dogs today and hot dogs tomorrow and hot dogs next week and hot dogs for the future and peanut butter and jelly. And it's all like, do you remember? And remember when you said things to one another, when you prayed prayers, like, God, if you bless me with a job, if you bless me with income, man, I am gonna be generous. Are you? Here's another question. 
Are you giving more? And I'm not talking about amounts. I don't think God looks at amounts and is impressed. Remember when Jesus encountered this widow who was giving and this other Pharisee who was giving a bunch more? God, Jesus did not say, whoa, look at that dude. And man, bless her heart. He said, man, look at her. Why? Because she gave out a, a, a percentage that was out of an abundance of her lack when this guy gave a lot of money, probably of leftovers. Are you giving more percentage-wise now than before? Or are you making more percentage-wise but giving less? That should be a warning light. That should be a danger light for your soul. That it's possible that money, mammon, possessions is trying to grab a hold of your heart. And when it does that, friends, here's what's at stake. It also grabs a hold of your peace. And God loves you. He doesn't want that. Another question. When you get a raise, what do you do with it? I know what everybody else does with it. Like they immediately are like, sweet, the car, the, the gaming system, the thing. Like we immediately, we get raises and we immediately go to our standard of living. Do you ever with the same level of persistency, passion, and intentionality address your standard of giving? Or did that stay the same? My name's John, I'm your friend. We could, right? Why not? Do you have career goals? Yeah. Do you have financial goals? Yeah. What about giving goals? Pastor Matt reminded us a few weeks ago, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your relationship with money is off, your whole life will be off as well. So this week, do the diagnostic. This, this week, because God loves you so deeply and wants you to be flourishing and thriving as he intended, do the treasure test. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do the treasure test. This week, maybe with your roommates, if you're single, maybe with your spouse, if you're married, Look at your spending and track your giving percentage. If you have a budget, you're like, oh, sweet, that's relatively easy. If you don't have a budget, we'll talk about that next week. You need a budget. All right, but look at your, look at your spending and track your giving percentage. Sit down this week with your spouse, with your roommates, have a dialogue, and begin to pray and dream about a generosity goal. Nancy and I have a generosity goal. We're like, man, by, by the time we're old and gray, we, we wanna be giving upwards of 50% of our personal income away. We're doing it as a church. What's a church? How do we do that as a church? Because you guys are generous and you're amazing. That's how we do it. I'm like, we wanna be a part of that. And so each year when we get raises, thank God if or when we get raises, we start and we say, okay, are there budget categories that need to shift? Okay, what can we bump up in terms of generosity to move towards that generosity goal? If you don't know where to start, Start with obedience, start with tithe, start with 10%, start with the training wheels of generosity that God intended for his people to flourish and thrive in life and finances. Don't just think about money, look at your time, look at your talents, look at your abilities, track your serving percentage. Look at serving when it comes to giving of your time to make a difference in our community with local missions. Look at serving when it comes to being involved right here at Greenhouse with all of the different things it takes to turn an auditorium, high school auditorium into a church sanctuary and a kids ministry area next door. If you're not on a serve team, we could really use your help. We'd love for you to jump on board. 
And I think you'd really enjoy it as well. You'd make some friends, become a deeper part of community and thrive. Next week is all about money wisdom. Next week is all about saving and investing and, and spending and, and budget. How, how am I supposed to structure this? Okay, I get the giving piece of it, but how we're gonna unpack all of the various components of, of money management and what does the Bible actually have to say? But if we don't start with God's plan and path when it comes to generosity, all the rest of it is gonna be off. This is what God has called his people to do. In fact, God did not just call his people to this. He, he said, test me in this. Remember in Malachi? God said, I dare you. I dare you. This week, I had a, a, a deeply strong sense in my heart that God wanted to set people free specifically from fear, anxiety of the future. And I think we often do not realize that when money has a hold of us, it grabs our hearts and becomes our master. This is what Jesus said. And I felt like God said, I want to set some people free. If you are struggling with, I think wisely, you're looking at the, the uncertain economic future in the landscape, what would it look like to test God in this, like you said? To step out with first and best and, and watch what he does. God makes all these promises. I mean, if, if, you're un, if you're fearful about the future, and I think many of us would be, and there are reasons, good reasons to be, God has all these promises for generosity in his word. He says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and I will repay. David says, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. It's one of the reasons we still even exist as a church in a great spot that we're in financially and in every way. I'm like, how in the world? It doesn't make sense on paper, but it makes sense on paper. His, his, his paper It's what God said. I am not naturally a generous person. I am naturally, if I want to be using euphemisms, I am fiscally conservative by nature. And I am flat out stingy if I want to be a little bit more honest when left to my flesh. And because of the gift of an incredibly generous wife that God has blessed me with and the work of God's spirit convicting me, I have, I'm passionate about this because I've watched it change me. Where I feel light. I feel joy. I feel a peace that I did not always have. I'm telling you, friends, this stuff works. God knows what he's talking about, and he loves you. God wants you to thrive. I want you to thrive in life and in finances. And as such, he's given us his wisdom. Why generosity? Why is it such a big deal? Why does it matter so much? Because at the end of the day, we were created in the image of God. And God is a God of generosity. In John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How much more will he give all good things if he who did not withhold even his own son? The reason that we flourish and thrive when it comes to being people of generosity is because that is his very image and we were created in his image. And when we walk in the image that we were created in, we flourish because we're living in congruency with who we are. And when, we're don't, when we don't, we're misaligned and we wither friend you were designed to be generous it's been hardwired into your core you feel it when you step out in off moments you happen to give something to someone or step out and you feel it like man something in you just comes alive yes because you were made in his image and our God is a generous God and you thrive when you're walking like that as well and the grip of greed 
and materialism and fear and anxiety and panic and worry. It begins to lose its grip as faith begins to arise in our hearts. Church, where your treasure is, Jesus said, your heart will be also. Lead your heart with obedient, progressing, extravagant generosity for the glory of God, for the flourishing of people, and for your heart to flourish as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you deeply. And I think if we were to really pause in this moment, we would, I acknowledge that there is a strong pull in my heart and life towards self-preservation when it comes to my time, when it comes to my talents, and definitely when it comes to my stuff. And yet, Lord, I want to increasingly say in my real life, with my real finances, God, I trust you. Lord, I want to give you my first, and I want to give you an increasing measure out of the abundance of my heart because you have been so good, because everything is yours, because I want to see your glory and people flourish and thrive all throughout South Florida and in Guyana and kids rescued out of trafficking with Missionary Sam and people who are thinking, is God even real? And then as a result of giving, uh, an organization steps in in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I want to see your kingdom come. I want to lay up treasure in heaven, not just on earth. And yet, Lord, it's so easy to get distracted. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown. There, there's so much to be afraid of. There's so much. Lord, it's so easy for it to grip our hearts. Rescue us. Help us. I want to give you a moment just of of self-reflection right there in your seat, right there in your chair. If God's spirit is speaking to your heart and you sense a tug, a conviction, a prompting, and you realize that according to God's standard, you are not walking in generosity biblically. If you're trapped in fear or anxiety, maybe it's control, maybe it's about greed, I don't know what the root might be in your life money and stuff has, has somehow ascended to the throne of your heart. Even right there in your chair, you just ask him. If you're watching online, if you're over in Guyana, just say, God, help me. Help me. I want to obey you. I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want your easy yoke. I want your light burden. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've got the training wheels on. You're doing the tithe. You're at the starting point, the 10%, but you want to progress in generosity. You want a vision from God for progressive generosity, for growth in the area of generosity, just like you pray for growth in every other area of your life, emotionally and spiritually. Tell him, Lord, I hear you. I'm in. Help me. Commit even right now in your heart to say, all right, I'm, this week, tonight, I'm, I'm gonna get together with my spouse and we're having a meeting and we're gonna, we're gonna start praying about God's vision for our lives and our finances. I'm gonna get with my roommates. We're gonna talk about what it could be like.